Well, hello, White Sox fans. How you guys doing tonight? I can only imagine how you're feeling right now. You feel left out in the cold. The White Sox have only signed Kendall Graveman so far amidst the flurry of activity that is going on in the free agent market. What a great day to be alive. I keep on seeing that on the uh, Battlefield 2042 commercials. Welcome to another episode of White Sox Daily Live. So, free agency has been insane over the last couple of days. And, uh, you know, it's something that we talked about on here. Um, I said that I thought that this was going to move quickly. And sure enough, here we are. And everything is, you know... Names are flying off the board like crazy, and uh, the White Sox are still just sitting here like Spider-Man sitting in the office, and um, I guess I have a question for you guys. So with the salaries that we've seen being handed out over the last couple of days, the White Sox, as we know are not generally uh, a team that is going to hand out contracts with numbers as we've seen. Um, They are one of four teams to never uh, extend a free agent or, uh, or, sorry, sign a free agent or extend a, its own player for more than $73 million ever. Uh, The other teams being the A's, Pirates, and uh, who's the other one? Uh, A's, Pirates, there's another one that I'm forgetting. Oh, the uh, Indians. So you've got three other teams whose fan bases decry them as the worst ownership in any sports. And um, the White Sox are right there with them. So with the salaries the way they are going right now, and the lack of moves from the White Sox. Do you think that they are getting a little gun shy with handing out these contracts and they're seeing everything that's going on right now on the market? Do you think that they're a little shocked by what's going on here and are getting alligator arms with their wallets? Uh, when it comes to handing out a contract here. I'm here with my co-hosts, Danny Miller and Xavier Sanchez. How you guys doing tonight? Gave you a free Hello, hello. There we go. Whoa, hello. Yeah, you're back. This is a great way to start the show. Let me just let me just go ahead and say that. Uh yeah, um my thought on this right now is uh most of these contracts that I'm seeing going out so far this offseason. Regardless of team, I think are ooh, a little far fetched. I uh, I don't know that I would have paid some of them, most of them, but there are a few that I thought were uh, fairly doable. I think uh, you know the one that really stands out to me right now that was very doable for the White Sox was the uh, Robbie Ray signing we saw earlier this afternoon. Uh you know, I, I had some quick, very quick conversations about it since I've been off of work tonight. And, uh, you know, the thing that I seem to get 
back the most on this one is that uh, there's no track record, or at least not one that's uh, an extended track record for uh, you know big dollar amounts for him. But uh, certainly one that I would have thought the White Sox might uh, feel okay about doling out for the uh, five years, $115 million that he got and is gone. Uh, the other one that kind of surprises me a little bit is uh, Starling Marte. You know, and, and I'm just going off of guys that, you know, I would have targeted as the White Sox if I'm playing GM for the White Sox. Uh, I feel also kind of uh, doable, but it's the length, I think, of contracts that uh, the White Sox are really kind of feeling uh a little put off by maybe not so much dollar amounts because we're talking about overall dollar amounts and we're talking about not extending somebody for over $73 million. We're talking about length, you know, um, it's, it's not, it's, I don't think it's outside their own possibility to believe that the white Sox will, you know, throw somebody $20 million a year, but is it $20 million a year over seven years, eight years? That's, that's the kind of thing that, I don't think I would expect to see from the White Sox organization. So uh, whether or not they're feeling gun shy, I, I sure hope that, uh, you know, there's, there's being some thought given to uh, extending some sort of large contract to a large player, whether it be in terms of dollar amounts or years, so that, uh, you know, we can stay competitive in the, uh, not just the American League, but the American League Central, which seems to uh, poise to make some leaps and bounds uh, across the board, so. What do you think of Xavier? Um, Yeah. Last week, I was kind of bummed. I was like, we we did our show, and then the next day, all the action, the one signing happened for the White Sox. And from there, it almost seemed like everyone was making moves after that through, obviously, the last two days had been super busy. But at the same time, I feel like the White Sox might just be a couple steps behind. Like everything's going a little fast, and they didn't. Maybe they just never. Who knows? But if I feel like they didn't go, like, do I say it? They're they might have not got in touch with everyone fast enough, and everyone's already signing. Uh, but I'm still holding out hope for someone. Yeah, understandable. I mean. It- yeah, I guess uh, uh, the way I would maybe not. I guess they're they're gun shy, but I'd say that they're probably also a little bit shell shocked because you see these contracts the way that that they've been being handed out over the last couple of days, and I don't think that they thought that this was coming. Personally, you know, and um, I don't know. You know, I I don't know. Uh, I I know that it, you know. As uh, mentioned in the chat, is it doesn't matter what fans think, but at the same time, there ha- you know, ideally, um, you know, fans have to go, you know, go to the games and uh, putting some some excitement in the, uh, you know, out there for the fans is kind of a kind of a thing as well. I mean, I'm not saying that they should be fiscally irresponsible, if you will, but. Um, there have definitely been a couple of those contracts that are manageable. Um, you know, like I mentioned, the Robbie Ray contract was not ridiculous. Um, 
the John Gray contract, also not ridiculous, uh, despite what the Rangers have done with their other two signings, which uh, if whoever is uh, watching slash listening to this one, it is in podcast form. The Rangers have spent about $600 million in two days signing Marcus Semien uh, to a seven-year deal for 175, I believe. Is that is that uh, is that right? Seven one seventy-five. Yeah, and then Corey Seager for ten three seventy-five. So he's getting thirty-seven and a half million dollars a year. Um, so you have to imagine that their infield is is set for a little while. Wow, I can't even. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, text ticks text. Exotics, however you say that. Thank you for the follow. We appreciate it. Going to get you a little uh, Tony Shuffle going on here. There we go. There he comes. He's coming yeah. over to say hello. Thanks for thanks for following. Thanks for coming in the chat. Appreciate it. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I, like I just I'm I'm kind of torn with the whole thing. Um, like I don't expect the White Sox to be shelling out you know, $375 million to uh, a Corey Seager. However, the, uh, the, the left-handed bat at second base certainly would have been very nice. And if you look at his, you look at his numbers, um, I don't know if, uh, $375 or $375 million is, uh, you know, it seems like a, a a reach for sure, but um, you know the guy's got a one thirty like something like one thirty five WRC plus over his career, and uh, in the shortened season in twenty twenty, he had a one fifty WRC plus. I mean, the guy guy can hit. Um, you know, the glove isn't the best, uh, but it's certainly doable, and uh, certainly would have not been much of a downgrade over what we've seen at second base. I mean, I guess Yolmer did get a gold glove a few years ago, but, you know, we had uh, Leury over there quite a bit, and uh, Nick Madrigal starting off his career also, you know, he booted quite a few and made some some uh, bad decisions and bad throws. So I don't think that we really would have been missing all that much. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this is one thing that uh, I've heard uh, a couple of times today is that yeah, he can hit when he is on the field. So he uh, he was fully healthy last year. He was fully healthy in 2019. He had an injury in 2018, and he had an injury this year. So you know, a couple of years in between his uh, in between his injuries. So he had a couple full seasons of you know production. So. I don't know. They think that they can keep them healthy. Also, one thing to mention, uh, one thing that uh, also likely swayed Seager was signing with the Rangers is that the hitting coach that was with the Dodgers in his two best seasons is now the new hitting coach uh, for the Texas Rangers. So that probably uh, the familiar familiarity and... Uh, you know, the results that he received when he was under the tutelage of his uh, hitting coach over there uh, probably likely played a, a factor as well, not to mention, you know, the boatloads of cash that were thrown at him. Um, 
So you have to imagine that their middle infield is is sorted for for you know seven seven years. You would think. I mean, people thought that uh, the Adrian Beltre contracts that he got were uh, a little bit uh, absurd at the time, and he managed to you know finish out that contract and put up decent numbers the entire time he was there. So I don't know. What do you think? Uh, do do you think that? Uh, the Rangers are uh, living dangerously. I, I, mean, I think they have. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Xavier. Uh, no, go go. You you go first. Well, I mean, I just I look at their uh, I look at their roster right now, and I see three shortstops and a guy who can maybe play a little bit of second base, but uh, has typically been a shortstop most of his career. Uh, I see a guy who was drafted as a catcher and played shortstop and now might move to maybe third base. I don't know what they're going to do with them. Uh, but I mean, essentially three shortstops, two of which are making boatloads of money. So yeah. Um, I, I would say their middle infield. If it's not set, they're in trouble. <laughs> you're putting a lot of money towards that, uh, Towards those those you know at least two of those three guys that they're uh, set in the infield, so that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, I'm not too sure what their game plan. Uh, maybe it's not even for next year. Just a couple years down the line, two, three, and when like they got a couple people coming up in their farm, and they'll be ready to contend. And maybe that's why they had locked in a couple guys for long term. Uh, the dollar is can be kind of scary with Seeger, and I get that. And uh, just I saw a comment about him only playing 95 games. Uh, I don't think a White Sox second baseman played 95 games this year. I don't think they had one single guy to get that high. Nope. So uh, once again, it, it's still a much better player than anyone we've ever seen. Yeah, I think both uh, Leori and Madrigal both had 62 games, I believe, something like that. I think they ended up tied for uh, most games at second base for the White Sox this year. I think it was those two guys. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, there's uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the Rangers is, are stupid um, in the chat and that uh, – them spending fifty-eight million dollars for two players is straight dumb, and um, yeah, sure. I mean, I can kind of see that, but then again, you know, you look at, uh, you know, you look at a bunch of rosters, and a bunch of rosters, their top two guys are totaling, you know, fifty, sixty million dollars. That is the way business is done now. Yeah, well, I can't disagree with you there. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about this upcoming CBA, you know, the new agreement that's uh, going to be happening at some point or another coming up here in the next few months. But, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, a lot of people haven't talked about, <clears throat> you know, we can talk about you know, everybody knows that the economics is going to be the hot button issue, regardless of, you know, what else is going on. Uh, you know, manipulation of of uh, service time has to do with economics, uh, you know, uh, arbitration years has to do with economics. But the real thing is, is 
the proposals that have been put together, you know, because the CBA has actually been in talks for a while now. Uh, this isn't something that's we're waiting to get started. We're waiting for it to get figured out. It's just that come December 1st, the old agreement is up. And once that happens, if the owners, and I shouldn't say if, because it's going to happen, the owners are going to lock out the players, which means once that happens, anybody who's a member of the MLBPA cannot make any sort of signings, moves, trades, you know, whatever that may be. Uh, so the MLBPA has come back with a couple of, uh, you know, suggestions where, you know, raising, uh, raising the league minimum is a big thing for them. Uh, raising or shortening arbitration years, uh, and shortening rookie contracts is a big thing for them because they believe they deserve to get paid more. And the reality is is I, I can't disagree with it because what happens is, is the, the league is now. Uh, worth about $11 billion a year overall as total. Uh, and in the last five or so years, the players are actually getting about 6 to 7% less than what they were getting just in 2016 and 2017. So when you see these big contracts, um, you see certain players are doing very well for themselves while the rest of the league is not. And the owners made a, a, an offer of their own back in August that a lot of people aren't talking about. And that offer was actually to lower the competitive threshold first tier to $180 million. It's significantly lower than the 210, 212 that was agreed upon for, you know, this past season. So what does that tell you? I think what's going on is, uh, you know, we have a certain very uh, influential owner here in Chicago when it comes to that owner's association. And they might've got caught with their pants down thinking that uh, the CBA was going to slow things down. Cause I know the, the original thought amongst a lot of baseball experts was that uh, the uh, pre CBA movement was going to be slow and grinding. And there would probably be a long layoff because no moves can be made until that new CBA has reached an agreement. And I think a lot of owners were hoping that that would happen so that there would be a flurry of quick unprocessed moves by players and agents. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, I feel like because of that influential owner here in Chicago, they thought maybe that was going to be the case and uh, could have the ball on some of these guys. Just my personal opinion. Yeah, uh, there was a tweet by Kylie McDaniel earlier tonight um, that I retweeted that I thought was uh, fairly interesting. Um, let's see if I can bring that up here right quick. Uh, and it, it uh, kind of echoes um, pretty much exactly what you're saying. Um, really? Yeah. Um, I sound <laughs> Yeah, let's see here. Where is where's this tweet? Uh says, will be interesting to see if the tenor of labor negotiation changes given historic spending spree right before likely lockout. MLB owners have been harping on pandemic losses slash financial discipline. I wonder if owners are now more fractured than the MLBPA. State of play has changed. And to me, uh, this goes along with one of, the, uh, one of the comments that's in the chat that says uh, it's rogue owners that are doing this. And 
the thing is, is that if you remember correctly, um, Cohen that bought the Mets was not wanted as an owner by one chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, when he got the team because of this exact thing, that he didn't want somebody in the league out there willing to spend money. And the entire old guard of the ownership is doing what they can to stifle contracts. It's collusion without collusion. Right. (laughs) Is that they're trying to keep all the players beaten down as far as possible so that they can make as much as possible. And anybody that says any different is delusional. Yeah, and it's like I said, it's it's ridiculous for the owners to say that, you know, COVID losses. They keep harping on this COVID losses thing. But like I said, the numbers over the last four or five seasons or so suggest that money has been going into the owners' pockets more regularly than in seasons past. There were no losses. League-wide, revenue is continually going up regardless of COVID it is now, like I said, it's, it's an $11 billion industry, much of which gets spread across the entire MLB yet player salaries have gone down six percentage, six to seven percentage points. Interesting. So yeah, uh, there's a little disconnect in uh, the the thinking there and it's kind of shameful to, for, you know, us the regular man to be able to look at that and go something doesn't add up and there's going to be this argument and this is why we're getting a, a an owner's lockout right now because they're going to try to plead their case no matter what there, what there is but there's really it's a simple it's, it's just simple math and uh the mlbpa isn't going to go for it so we're going to see some downtime here and uh you know these rogue owners that are doing it i think are probably saying to themselves you know what we got the money. We want to put a winner in the field. We want our fans to come out and see it. So let's do what we got to do because they're not losing any money. The numbers are there to show them that the, the league is not losing any money. Yeah. Whether or not, uh, whether or not they, we, you know, we can talk about dwindling fan bases all we want, but uh, I'm not exactly sure that's really a thing either. Yeah. I, I do not buy any of their, uh, you know, you've, you've talked to me through uh you know on the podcast before we started doing the stream and now through the stream i have zero pity for billionaires i mean i don't really have pity for millionaires either but the fact that the wage inequality is is so vast i mean when you when you look at uh, i think uh, what was it like a a total of like uh 3.2 billion dollars or something like that in salaries in MLB or s- something like that I-, I can't remember exactly what the number was but they're making 11 billion dollars yet salaries going out to players is pretty stinking low you know so for anybody to say that you know there's not some sort of an issue there when it comes to the money there's there's definitely an issue there and uh i mean while you can you know say that uh maybe uh cory seager might not be worth 375 million dollars 
you know, I mean, when market value says it's what market value is, and that's what it's going to take for an owner to go out and make sure that they get their guy. That was one of the things that a lot of White Sox fans complained about was that the White Sox spent all this time trying to come up with this goofy language on contracts for uh, Machado. You know, I, I personally didn't care one way or the you know one way or the other because I didn't particularly want him. Um, but you know, with all these uh, performance clauses and uh, things that they could manipulate to make sure that he didn't get the full value on his contract in those last couple of years of his contract. You know, I mean, it's just the White Sox have always, they keep on trying to avoid spending money and putting out the money for the big contract, even though that that's what the market was always going to be. I mean, they were saying that these guys, you know, that Harper and Machado were going to get $350 million, $300 million, $400 million. Like, that's where the projections were. And then you find out that the White Sox are saying that they gave the biggest contract, but the problem is, is that it contained all sorts of escalator clauses and performance clauses and health clauses and the guaranteed money was not even close to what was being offered. So obviously the player who is interested in doing something for himself and for his family is going to choose the guaranteed money and not just, you know, take one that's going to give him an extra $20 million over, you know, 15 years or 13 years or 10 years or whatever the heck, you know, he's not going to take that. He's going to take the guaranteed money so he can get the most money every year. And if he invests it, he's going to make more than that, you know, extra $15 million if he does it correctly. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense for the player to accept something that, if they have uh, some sort of an issue, all their escalator clauses go out the window and all that uh, additional money that they would have made goes out the window as well, you know? Well, I mean, you know, we have a, we have a player right here in the White Sox that's uh, a perfect example of that because we've been talking about it for weeks now with, uh, you know, and it's not a huge long-term contract, but, you know, we talk about uh, Dallas Keuchel hitting his, uh, hitting his innings to uh, get his... Uh, his final option here and how, you know, the team now granted his performance says he probably shouldn't hit the number of innings that he would get to get that additional contract here. But, you know, uh, it's one of those things that could easily be manipulated to make sure that he doesn't hit that and could be a money saving, uh, issue for a team. So yeah. Uh, you know, the, I'm just going to go ahead and agree with you and saying the, these these creative contracts. I'm sure a lot of players and agents are seeing right through that, and uh, it's not really doing you any good to think that you can get away with that on every contract and every deal that you do. Uh, if you have a guy who trusts in you and your system and your team and you know, really, really, really wants to be there, fine. But uh, you know, we can take a look at Marcus Semi and one of the conversations I had. Uh, just in the last few days with Marcus Semyon signed him. He signed a seven-year, $175 million contract, and somebody made the comment of, well, I guess it's not about winning championships. It's about the money. Well, of course it's about the money. He's 31 years old, and he just got a seven-year deal that's going to pay him into his 38-season year, and it's going to be the biggest deal he's ever going to get. 
Do you think he gives a dang about winning a World Series or, you know, going deep into the playoffs year in and year out? Because some other team might have offered him 125, or is he going to take that extra 50 million all the way to the bank and live his best life? You know? Yeah, I, I don't know. What's up, Bozy? Good to see you, buddy. What do you th- what's your take on this, Xavier? Are you uh, yay or nay? Hey, I I lean towards you. I uh, you guys, I probably. The, those dates are numbered of those contracts and like the the runaround because I feel like a lot of these guys are pretty close so not just their like with their agents but like the players themselves are friends and they're when it's time for them to go get a contract they're trying to talk amongst their buddies and figure out what did they do when they went up for a contract to try to make sure it, they don't get screwed over and uh, play, p- players are smarter, and if they're not smarter, uh, someone around them's definitely smart. Uh, make sure that what happened in the past doesn't happen t- to them moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I you know, like I said earlier, I'm not for you know completely reckless spending. However, absolutely not. You know, I. I, I don't like that I, I this this whole thing is 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 absurd to me but you know at, at at the beginning of this whole rebuilding process it was said the money will be spent and they are going you know the window has opened the time is now if they don't go out and supplant what they already have on this roster and fix the holes, they're just going to be going down a little funnel each year because the other teams in the division, they're not going to stop getting better. They had an easy run through the division last year, but the Tigers are going to start spending money. All those guys that they have eating up roster spots on their team that put out sub 100 WRC plus, you know, all those guys that are sub average are going to start disappearing and their good players are going to start coming up through their system. Their pitchers are going to, a bunch of them are already up. They're just going to continue to get better as they go along, just like the White Sox did. But the issue is they hired a, uh, they hired a GM last year that has been known to spend uh, sometimes wildly spend, uh, he's been criticized, you know, uh, Dombrowski, uh, he's been critical, Well, oh, he's a Phillies. He's been wildly. I'm sorry. What? See on the Phillies Phillies. Isn't it, uh, Dombrowski's oh, with the Phillies. Who's the, who's... He, is, he is with the Phillies. Who did, the, who did the, uh, the I, Tigers hire somebody? Al Avila. Last year, last year, year before, didn't they? Yeah. It's Al Avila, isn't it? Uh, Alex yeah. Avila's dad. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, but regardless, the Illiches spend money. They've always been known to spend money. When it comes time for them to start putting out money, they're going to do so. You know, and they're not going to worry about what things are going to look like in season 10, 11. You know, like you're seeing right now with Miguel Cabrera. You know, the guy looks like a corpse. He's got zero cartilage in his knees whatsoever. You know, I mean, he's. 
probably walking around with a cane when he's not on the field. But you know what? They had a good run for quite a few years with him in his prime. And everybody knows that on the back end of the contract that you're going to eat some of this. But, you know, if you're going to try and get one of the top players is that they are going to command those extra years and that extra money. And you have to be willing to eat it if you want to sign them. Yeah, uh, you know, and he, you know, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, Savior, I didn't mean to step on you yet again. Uh, I'm going to stop doing that. But, you know, the chat is also mentioning that uh, they have uh, just hired a a modern era type manager uh, in Detroit as well. So, you know, you combine the Illiches with, uh, you know, a manager who has uh, recently won a World Series and, uh, you know, appeared in multiple uh, deep playoff runs and the uh, the farm system that they have and their willingness to go out and get uh, big free agents. They could be right on the White Sox tails, you know, sooner rather than later. So I'm sorry, Xavier, go ahead. I didn't mean to step on you again. My apologies. The uh, things are tightening up. A lot, a lot of players are staying in the division. A lot of teams are bolstering up. Um, yes, uh, White Sox over the last few years are definitely making new moves and things we haven't seen and spending here and there and bringing answering to that they have. But same way as we see like other teams, I, I don't think it's wrong. Uh, as a fan or a reporter or what, to question the White Sox and them not doing a little bit more. You see all these other teams willing to spend to answer to their problems, and those teams, the Mets and the Rangers, at least to like the average person, I, I feel like they're in a limbo. Like, are they? They're more pretender. Like, I don't see them as a real, like a real top top tier team right now feel like they're kind of they can easily not make the playoffs or they make the playoffs it moving forward and well, if any they're reports are true they're, they're not done so i don't know we'll see it as it goes especially with the, uh, Seattle. for all of these things they have things that they need to answer to fix so i they people should want them to pony up a little bit more and spend the money to get the players they need. Yeah. It's take $5 million or $100 million. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's... One more yeah, thing sorry, I was I said thinking Seattle about. Fan. So you, you know that the White Sox, they need a starting pitcher, likely, because Rodon's probably gone. You knew that they needed bullpen help because they're taking – Kopech out of that bullpen uh, to start moving him to a starter's role. And they plan on doing, they say they, they're planning the same thing with Crochet. So you're going to lose him uh, next year. So they signed Graveman, which is, which is cool. Awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring up some stats. Oh. I got, got a bunch of stuff on him that I'll bring up later. But the, you know, the issue is, is that they also had major holes in right field and second base. And, you know, not that I wanted uh, Leuri back to play second base, but, uh, you know, it's still it's still another hole there. And, um, 
the first thing that I would think that would be on the list would not be to go out and sign the uh, a reliever. You know, I would think that the probably the thing that you'd want to do is probably uh, you know make sure that you're sorting out who you are going to uh, get to fill your your biggest holes, which are having a below average second baseman and right fielder. Now that both of those positions are vacant. I mean, right field's been terrible for years and years and years. And second base, you traded your, you know, your second baseman of the future, quote unquote, for uh, a guy that you don't even want around anymore. So now you have to trade him. And you got to figure out where you're going to send Craig Krimble to, you know, because it's fairly apparent that they're not keeping him. And, you know, when, when Han is talking about trading you in a press conference. <laughs> I mean, when does he ever do anything like that and say, oh, well, yeah, he's probably, we're going to have to see if we can work him in, but, you know, we might trade him. When has he ever said that about anybody? Never. Yeah. So that means he's as good as gone. Right. So now you, you know, not that you're losing leverage, whatever, you know, I mean, he's still, you know, Hall we heard about closer, Philly being, blah, blah. We hear we we've been hearing about Philly being really interested in uh in Mr. Crimble. And uh, you know, I've seen some uh you know, some talk about a a deal centered around Gene Segura. And I can't imagine, you know, Philly's looking to dump salary. Uh and you know, they're very near to each other in salary. So in order to get the caliber of player that you're going to get in Gene Secura, mm-hmm. which, you know, wouldn't be a bad thing. I would take it in a heartbeat, but you're going to have to pay part of Mr. Crimble's salary to do it, I believe, if not a good portion of it. Yeah, I mean, but it should be an even that, swap, really. You know, uh, maybe, 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 oh, Bobby Nightingale uh, got that wrong because uh, just today I heard that the Phillies are looking at another relief pitcher with the initials CK and that would be uh Corey Canable. So, you know, maybe he just got it wrong. Maybe they weren't looking at Kimbrell at all. They were they were looking at Canable this whole time. <laughs> yeah, I I've also heard rumors that uh that the Phillies don't want to get rid of Gene Segura. I've heard that as well and like basically all, you know, apparently all their writers are like, "Why would we get rid of him?" And uh, they're not uh, not too keen on getting rid of him. So I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have any sources that would say otherwise or anything like that. But you know, I mean, if you go and look at the numbers, um, you know, the difference between Larry Garcia and Gene Segura is not really all that vast. You know, Gene Segura had a 109 WRC plus, and Larry had a 98. You know, one's slightly below average and one's slightly above average. I mean, it's it's not really it's, it's not an upgrade per se. I mean, it's not it's not something that I would look at it and go, "Oh, wow, that's a huge upgrade." It's something that I look at and I go, "Yeah, okay, fine. It's a it's a it's a body to put at second base that will hit, you know, 14 home runs instead of 9 home runs. Big deal." Yeah. You know, and he's going to cost you about twice as much. Exactly, and he's it's going to make it so it's an even swap for for Kimbrel. So I mean, essentially, it's a wash. Yeah, you know, he's he's making fifteen and change, and Kimbrel's making sixteen, and 
Larry Garcia is set to make what eight? Well, I mean, it's it's uh, estimated. I think on Track or uh, wherever yep. I, I looked that it was like estimated around like six, seven, something like that. I thought it was like seven three, but either way, uh, much cheaper than uh, a, a one Mister Segura. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, so the question comes up: in or out? Would you really want Castellanos for eight years at twenty two hundred twenty five? in his uh season 30 year there's his 30 year old season yeah i i saw today that he was uh apparently looking for seven or eight years on his contract so yeah, you think he gets anywhere near 225 for that either but that's just me uh, well yeah uh i mean there's that as well i mean maybe like uh one you know 20 20 I don't know, 25. I guess if he did 25 million a year, that would be 175. I mean, I could see that. 225, that's another $50 million. Now you're talking seven at 175. That's Marcus Semien money. Does he have Marcus Semien numbers? Yeah, that would be like $32 million a year uh, with seven right, years. Field. Yeah. Marcus at least plays a premier position on the diamond. Well, I mean, uh, the thing is, is that he, he also plays good defense now. Not when he was with the White Sox, but now he plays. You know, he plays a pretty right. good defense. Castellanos, not so much. Yeah, yeah, you know, seven. I would think more like seven, one forty-five, one fifty, eight, one sixty, one seventy, maybe. Well, see, twenty-five is ridiculous, but you know, I don't know. This market's a little insane. So, and you also have to look at who the other outfielders are that are on the market still. And what the outfielders that have already been signed got and what they are producing offensively. And so if you look at a uh, Starling Marte, um, I don't have, I'll have, I'll have to look up his, uh, his contract here right quick. I can't remember exactly what he got, but uh, it was not cheap. That, I, that much I do remember is that it was a... Uh, that it was a pretty penny. Um, let's see here. Uh, what is it? Uh, Four-year contract, $78 million deal. So it's roughly about $20 million. And, I, you know, he, uh, he, had a good, he had a really good year last year, no doubt. So if I'm judging by, by him... I'm going to say that uh, Castellanos is probably looking around $20 million a year. So you're looking at, uh, if seven years, you know, you're looking at a, uh, you know, you're looking at a $140 million deal. Pretty much right about what I was saying. It's exactly kind of what I was basing it off of, right around $20, $21 million a year. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the other, you know, Canna uh, didn't get uh, anywhere close to that. I think he got like $14 million a year or something like that. But uh, Castellanos is a, a much better player than Canna uh, with the bat. And, yeah, uh, over Slugger Award and his best offensive season, blah, blah, blah. We get it. No, And I'm not trying – I'm not blah, blah, blah on you. No, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, there's no way that he gets over $25 million a year. Yeah. Just judging on what the rest of the market is doing. Yeah, well, I mean, if you, if you look at the, uh, the MLB free agent trackers that are out there, they're saying that uh, – that Starling Marte was the second best outfielder available 
and that Castellanos is the third best outfielder available. So if you know the the best available outfielders, uh, one Chris Bryant that used to be on the uh, the north side over there, and uh, you know his primary is third base. Um, I he's not getting less than you know twenty five twenty seven million dollars a year, almost guaranteed. You know, um, so if. Uh, if well, that's the if that's the thing, you know that Chris Bryant's going to be asking for seven or eight years as well. You know they're pretty much. I, I I don't see that there's any way that one of these guys is not going to ask for those kind of years when they have this kind of leverage. There's not that many good outfielders that are really out there. Well, I I can't see. I don't know if I lost the chat because the last uh, last thing I got here is the uh, the Cassiano's eight year question. But uh, I, I'm i hoping somebody else is thinking the same thing I am without seeing it in the chat. But there, I'm just going to play a little devil's advocate here. We, we, we keep talking about this CBA coming up and changes are going to come. Uh, you know, is there going to be a rule change incorporated in all these talks? Maybe not part of the CBA, but, you know, maybe like a side deal. Does the NL get the DH? And if the NL gets the DH, now we're looking at a different scenario altogether where guys like uh, Castellanos can make themselves uh, more of a market. I and mean, you've got, you know, instead of two or three, four teams looking at you, you've got an entire National League looking at you, plus, you know, two, three, four American League teams looking at you. And now the market becomes uh, much more saturated with need instead of, uh, players and you know that could drive up his salary so you kind of hope that doesn't happen but uh you know i'm just you know like i said i'm playing a little bit devil's advocate here thinking uh thinking about what maybe he's thinking and why he hasn't signed yet and I'll, i'm just maybe i'm going too deep down the rabbit hole here i don't know i mean who knows you know, I mean, th- this whole thing's just uh, th- with the way this market has gone and just gotten crazy over, you know, two days now. I, I mean, I don't even I don't even have any clue, like who's who's off the board next. You know, I mean, your other your other options are, uh, you know, in the outfield are Conforto and uh, Schwarber. If you are feeling, uh, you know, like putting him in the outfield. Um, which he's not a particularly great outfielder, but he has improved a lot as far as uh, his defense goes. And then you drop down, and your next guys are Soler and Rosario and Avi, who's gone, and then Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson. You know, I mean, I know that the White Sox tried to sign Peterson last year, he but said no. he did say no, and he's also he is a platoon candidate. He is not a guy that you are going to have playing every day. So is that what you want to exactly? That's not what you want to hinge your, you know, your signings on. And you know that you need you need consistent production out of these spots. So where do the White Sox go? Are they I mean, I know we've been talking about this for a while, but are we are we really with the way that this market has been going, and their 
general lack of willingness to get a you know to put out a a big contract like this are we are we basically looking at internal internal yeah i mean you know they just did sign uh basabe back so i mean are we looking at internal options here because you know the the guys like the guys that everybody was talking about for the last uh month and a half saying oh well you know semyon will be the guy that's who i really want him to get gone seeker gone you know, I mean, Correa's still out there, but are the White Sox going to sign Correa? I mean, they didn't want A.J. Hinch because he was a cheater, so are they going to sign Correa because he's a cheater? Probably not. That's that's one of the things I heard. Oh, they're not going to hire A.J. Hinch because he's a cheater, and Jerry doesn't like cheaters. Okay, dude, sure. So here we are. We're looking at, uh, you know, what's available at second base that you really feel comfortable doling out this kind of money to that's that's there. You know what I'm saying? I I don't. I look at the, I look at the list of free agents now, and uh, I'm not entirely feeling confident that any of these guys is going to be worth the kind of money that they're going to get. Yeah, Chris Taylor. I he's been a platoon. He's been a uh, a super sub his entire career. So now he's just specifically going to be a second baseman, and you're expecting that his. Uh, I mean, number one, he doesn't have like particularly uh, that great of a glove, but he can play a lot of different positions. Now you're going to pigeonhole him into second base, which I almost positive isn't even his best position. I would have to look at his stats, but I'm pretty sure that second base is not his best position that he plays. And and you're going to throw what at him? He turned down the one year eighteen to the to the Dodgers, the qualifying offer. So what do you think Chris Taylor is going to make? And do you think that the White Sox are going to hand him $20 million a year for four or five years? Yeah. Okay. Oh, White Sox. I stand corrected. Have... Plus seven DRS in his career at second base. So he's not, he's not bad. I never thought he was bad there, but I figured he was better somewhere else. But uh, I digress. Anyway, Xavier, as you were saying, White Sox definitely probably had a plan, like, going in. They're like, okay, uh, might not get these guys just because they're looking for super long-term deals, but some of these other guys were in play for X amount of dollars. But once those first signings started rolling through, I think they realized they had to scratch, crumble off that piece of paper, and now they're they're kind of starting fresh because they got realized uh, you. You might be right. They might be looking internally because if they're not going to want to spend money, it's got to be internal. And I just like say injuries with Rodon. Uh, 18 for him might be one of the cheaper deals for a pitcher uh, that we'll see this offseason, especially when you saw those first pitching deals go through with uh, Verlander. Now you're seeing Scherzer. Syndergaard. Syndergaard. So, uh, it's they yeah, guys with some injury history behind them already, and they are getting paid. You got to really uh, spend the next couple hours really thinking about the, the guys have meetings with themselves, with the owner, and just really figure this out. 
and they're bold and still are willing to spend a little bit, but uh, a lot of questions with them because the I don't think we're going to see too many uh, veteran minimums or five to million dollar deals. Well, look at it this way, okay? So if the White Sox weren't willing to put out seven years at 25 for Semyon, which ended up being 175, a guy who's been in the top three or top five or whatever for MVP in his last two full seasons, hit 45 home runs last year. Do you think that they're going to be willing to give 20-plus a year for four or five years to Chris Taylor? I mean, look at the look at the production gap there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just it doesn't make financial sense for them to say no on Marcus Semyon for the extra you know couple of years with the production value that he's putting up right now at the position that you need. So now you're going to turn around and you're gonna you're gonna spend. You know, if he's turning down one year for 18 from the Dodgers, that means that he thinks that he's going to make a lot more money on the open market. And by a lot more money, I don't mean two years at 16 million, so he makes 32. He's expecting that he's going to make a bunch more money than that. The White Sox have not shown that they want to spend that kind of money. So no. I would, I'll, I will be shocked if they spend what Chris Taylor is going to be looking for to, to get Chris Taylor. And, and you know, the flip side of this is, is all these guys want long-term contracts. We want to get paid now. We want, you know, they're all in that age range where if they don't get it now, they're never going to get it. So they're all fighting for that. Any of these, you know, top 15 or 20 or so free agents this year, they want the long-term contracts. <laughs> and, you know, the thing about the White Sox is, is we have been sold so hard on their, their draft classes, their international signings, uh, the trades they've made to bolster their farm system that, uh, you know, you almost kind of wonder if that's their baby. That's been their, that's been their thing since day one of this rebuild was build the farm system, build the farm system, build the farm system so that we have that continual flow of new young blood as guys age themselves out and contracts come up that they don't want to pay or don't feel uh, are worth, you know, another long-term deal or big money dollars. So if you look at that and you look at guys like Romy Gonzalez, Yolbert Sanchez, Yoelki Cespedes, Oscar Colas. Are the White Sox avoiding these long-term contracts because they still believe they have something in their system that maybe isn't ready now, but they're hoping we'll be ready in a year or two? And are we still playing this wait and see game? We're not gonna sign, we're not gonna sign Marcus Semi into a seven-year deal because we got a guy we think we can pay a rookie contract to who's gonna come up and do the same thing that rookie Sem or uh Marcus Semian's doing now. You know, I, I don't really know what the thinking is, but uh, it's just for thought because we've been hearing it for so long about, you know, what they've been doing and what the plan was all along. Now, you already mentioned that part of that plan was the money will be spent. We've heard that, 
you know, numerous times and so far not happening. So I, I really don't know which way the ball's going to drop, but you know, if, uh, you know, if history tells me anything about them not wanting to go long-term, uh, my only hope now is that, uh, maybe we can go short-term for big dollars to get, you know, at least one of these holes filled before the season starts. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. It's a, which, which one are you going to be filling and what are you going to be willing to spend and what are you going to get? That's going to be, you know, comparable. And I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that I would be upset with signing Chris Taylor. I'm not saying that I would be upset with signing a Michael Conforto. It's not that I don't think that they're not decent players, but you know, Chris Taylor's 31 years old. You pay him, you know, for, you know, he's going to be asking for a contract for five, six years because he wants the stability for himself, for his family. He doesn't want to sign another two-year contract. So he's going to be asking for five, you know, five-plus years probably on his contract, and he'll get it from somebody. Will it be the White Sox? My guess is no. But... That's probably what he's going to be asking for and probably what he's going to end up getting. So the question, you know, comes, you know, like what are they going to be willing to to part with to to get somebody here? That's that's the important question is what are they going to be willing to do to get these guys here? And, it, you know, if you're judging on past history, whatever it is, it's not going to be enough because every time they go after a, you know, top-tier free agent, the only one that they've hit on has been Yasmani Grandal. That's the only one. Because he was the top catcher available. And they signed him early and got him early. Well, I don't know. There was that reliever of the year last year as well, too. But if you're talking about position players, yeah. That's okay, so they've they've signed closers. I mean, that's that. I mean, that's literally the, like one of the only places that they've ever actually spent money is on a closer. You know, I mean... I'm just saying, you know, it's like as far as position player goes, the only one that I can that like that they've really spent uh, a bunch of money on that's actually ever worked out has been Yasmani Grandal. You know, so I mean, I guess you know they did uh, Albert Bell back in uh, you know the '90s, but uh, you know, like like really, what do we? What are we looking at here? Adam Dunn, they spent some money on. You know, that didn't work out. Adam Adam LaRoche, that was okay. uh, one of the biggest train wrecks of all time, uh, bringing that guy and his kid into the clubhouse. Um, I mean, the Jermaine Dye worked out nicely, but it wasn't a huge contract, you know? It's like a middle Perusing of the road type thing. Social media and, like, the arguments and sides people get on. Uh Oh, so there's like the one side that will be like, oh, the White Sox don't spend money, never have, whatever. And then the boys do like how that Albert Bell one and all these, the, the handful that they did have, but the, the same four or five. A lot of these teams have a huge big deals that they've attempted. Uh, the White Sox just talk and their fans only have the few names and those are the only ones that, that they can really toss out because it's this is still very new territory for 
the White Sox. Yeah, the uh, the Albert Bell one always cracks me up because it was, <laughs> it was like nineteen, you know what, like nineteen ninety five or six, or whatever yeah, it was. It was forever ago, and that was the last time that Jerry Reinsdorf spent on a free agent in like one of the top free agents in baseball. And then he let him walk because he didn't want to pay him. He didn't even pay the full contract. He paid only half of the contract and then let him walk. So where, how is, how is that a feather in Jerry Reinsdorf's cap? I, I don't know. Oh, but he signed Albert Bell. Yeah, and then let him walk with time on his contract. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. There was, you know, let him walk on our option. So, yeah, I don't know, whatever, man. (laughs) They made a lot of offers that haven't come through, you know. Uh, And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not one to make that argument because, quite frankly, he didn't win any of those. And we hear about how, you know, well, the White Sox aren't a destination, so you know they're not they're not a place that players want to come to because you know they're they're run like a small market team and a large market and yada yada yada. But then you got these guys going to the Texas Rangers, who, yeah, they're overpaying for them, but they're going, they're signing, yeah. uh, they're there, they're playing for them, and you know we're not talking about some storied organization. It is some major destination. Yeah. Well, this actually, you know, this this brings up something. I was I was talking to uh, a streamer friend of mine who's a content creator on uh, YouTube, who's actually agreed to uh, come on here um, in the near future to uh, have talks about this, just to uh, clear some things up. But uh, you know, two of their major owners are oil tycoons. And have nothing but money. And next year, with even with signing the guys that they've signed, their payroll is at like 145 for next year right now. So they're not worried about payroll at all after they just made those, you know, insane contracts that they just signed today and yesterday. They're still at like $145 million. And I can I, I can guarantee you that these are the owners that are going to poo-poo uh, that whole, we're going to, you know, the, the offer of the uh, the owner's organization that uh, they made at lowering the first threshold to 180. Because there are owners out there that want it to go up. We want to be able to spend money without being taxed. Other owners are for this thing where we want to lower that money because we lost money during the COVID season. And, uh, you know, we just don't think that you guys should be entitled to all this, this big money. We need to recoup. We need to recover. And, you know, it's a significant dip. We're talking a $30 million a year dip in payroll because they don't want to pay. T- they, they didn't- so what are, what are all these, what are all the teams that already have contracts that are already, you know, their payrolls are already at 210 below the, below the, the tax right now what are they going to do if they you know like they move it back to 180 
you know, for 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 this collective bargaining agreement. Right, no, there's the no thing, shot that's happening. No shot. The Rangers and the, and the New York Mets are going. Uh, we're not done. Yeah, we're not done. We made all these big signings in the last week, and we're not done. Yeah. Well, you know, you only oh, it's it's down to 180, so you've only got 35 million left to spend. Oh, yeah. and they're gonna go oh, no, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're also thinking that they're going to care about the tax either, you know? Um, Well, (laughs) Oh, you know what? We'll just pay the tax then. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent sure that the Rangers are going to go out and sign two more pitchers, two starting pitchers. I'm almost like there. I, I don't see any way that they go and don't go and sign a couple of players. And one guy that I think that's probably going to end up probably, hearing from them is going to be Carlos Rodon. Uh, I saw today on uh, one of the one of the groups today that somebody said something about uh, we need to talk to Carlos Rodon when his uh, when his uh, his number goes down. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, have you How's not been paying out? attention to anything that's going on here? How on earth do you think that his value is going to come down from one year 18 qualifying offer that they didn't give him? How and seeing what Syndergaard signed for, what Verlander signed for, what you know, what all these guys are signing for, you think that he's gonna get when his number goes down? Yeah, okay, sure thing, yeah, pal. I'm talking about a guy who was in Cy Young talks for most of the season. Yeah, his number is gonna go down. And uh, Donut says that uh, the average before recent signings was 104 million dollars per team payroll, but. You know that's fine and dandy, but you got to take into consideration that I think there's five teams whose current payroll sits under fifty-five million dollars. Five out of thirty-two under fifty-five million dollars. That's uh, that's awful. That is, that's terrible. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, it's brought up in the channel, so Rodon may have medical issues. Yeah, but it could also be that the White Sox didn't extend the qualifying offer because, A, they figured he would take it, or, B, that that they wanted other people to think that he had medical issues and that they were going to try and re-sign him on the cheap because, to me, that sounds like a very White Sox thing to do. Yeah, I heard somebody else say last week that, uh, well, they could have signed him for the, you know, $18 million, but they, they, they want to offer him a longer contract. Well, here's the thing about qualifying offers is you could have very well signed him for that qualifying offer, had him on your roster so that he wasn't able to be out there to be pitched by anybody else, that he might have accepted that $18 million, and then you restructure a, a, a an extension. So I don't really know if that's, you know, a valid argument because it was one that I heard. And I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, you pay him that $18 million. And then you, ext- if you really want to extend him and offer him a longer contract and keep him part of your team for a while, and you give him that qualifying offer and restructure an extension later. Yep. Would have been the smart play there. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've, we've all heard that, uh, you know, the reason why the White Sox didn't extend him the qualifying offer is because he's hurt. And uh, I don't know. Looked like he yeah. was, you know, 
if he, he doesn't get arm. the offer he's signed somewhere else, at least you get the compensation pick. Yep. It's like having a second first round pick, you know, really, or late or early second round pick. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, I don't know if that was handled properly. Uh, well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty though, because we were all kind of in agreement thinking that that was a lot of money for him for a short track record of, you know, being healthy for once. And, you know, we've, we've talked about his downturn the last uh, month or month and a half of the season before coming back into the playoffs and, you know, having a, a great inning. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, we can look back at that and, and you know, say whatever we want to say, but. Yeah, we'll see. I reality, mean, this market, uh, this market is not playing out in favor of uh, the White Sox saving any money on a Carlos Rodon deal. That's for sure. Yeah, it's not looking like it's going to this. This market is, uh, if they want to fill their positions, it's looking like they are going to have to spend money, and that is not what they wanted to do. So, you know, it's not what they're being. I, I'm sure that it's probably not what they're being allowed to do because they probably got a. Uh, pretty solid cap on what they what they were projected that they were going to spend so you know is this you know i've had this conversation with you guys before you know that uh one of the problems that i had with uh the white Sox off-season plans and the way that they often do their things is that they'll sign four guys at eight million dollars a year instead of signing you know two guys at 16 each is that when you start doing that, your payroll starts getting higher because you're signing a bunch of guys at like $8 million, but your talent's not really going up that much either. And that we've seen so much underperforming from, you know, these contracts of these guys that are making five, $6 million that you don't really see the results that you would like to see out of, these teams so or out, out of these guys so i don't know that's kind of what i what uh what the white Sox payroll says to me is that they've got a bunch of guys that they've extended that are young and that they've gotten some middle tier guys filled it together and that's why their payroll is where it is will it get it done i don't know hasn't yet so yeah, yeah so uh <laughs> that is entirely possible. He's probably he's got uh, he's got uh, solitaire open on his phone. And he's just sitting wow. there looking at solitaire. <laughs> uh, Never played World of Warcraft before. <laughs> yeah, blame it on Danny. I've been stepping all over him the last two weeks here. My apologies. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So. People talked about Robbie Ray to the White Sox. He's gone, signed with the Mariners. Uh, Eduardo Escobar and Marte both were talked about to the White Sox, both on the Mets. Uh, also, uh, Scherzer, who you and I have had conversations about, Danny, also on the Mets for an absurd amount of money, but uh, very oh, short contract. $43 million a year plus. Yes, and but if you look at Trevor Bauer, look at Trevor Bauer the year before that. You know, he signed that two-year deal with uh, with the Dodgers. Where's Trevor Bauer playing right now? 
I yeah, we don't need to we don't need to get into that. But but the thing is, is that by signing those short term dealer deals, you know, the players taking risks that if they get injured in those two years, they won't be able to get another contract after that. And then the team is assuming the liability that if they get hurt in that year, that they are going to be on the hook for that amount of money for those couple of years. So like the it's on both sides that are taking the risk there. Don't get me wrong. The dude's got the, the history to uh, say, you know, he's a pretty stinking good pitcher. But $43 million plus a year for the next four years, he's going to be over the age of 41. Well, three years. Three years. It's uh, three years, $130 million. So it's only 130 over Why three years. Get... I'm sorry. You're right. But he'll still he'll be 41 at the at the the end of that contract. Yeah. It's still an absurd amount of money. Absurd. Donkulous amount I always of money. like those graphics where they put his what he's gonna make in between what the other team's estimated payrolls are and how uh he's at three point three and the pirates forty point two, Orioles thirty seven, and then like slightly above him is the Guardians now. And then the Mariners, but I'm sure the Mariners will go up. Raiders. But then not just that he's going to make 43 per year this year, but the following three years, he's going to make 15 more million on top of that for his deferred money from the Nationals. Oh, from the Nationals, yep. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, I'd say he's comfortable. Yeah, he set himself up well. That's for that's for stinking sure. Um, yeah. Also, the the Mariners yeah. made a, a little trade to the Padres as well and grabbed up uh, Adam Frazier as well. So saw that. Yeah. So they took up uh, one of their middle infield spots that um, they needed to address and traded uh, for Adam Frazier, who is uh, one of the uh, bells of the ball of um, the trade deadline last season. So that's interesting. Also, uh, Jacob Stallings traded from the Pirates to the Marlins today. And uh, former uh, White Sox farmhand Zach Thompson heads to the Pirates in that deal. So uh, I think that he's going to have some uh, job security as he's a pretty decent pitcher. And the Pirates need that. Yeah. Going to get lots of playing time there. Yeah. So, you know, uh, let's talk uh, talk for a few minutes about uh, the White Sox free agent that they actually did sign, uh, Kendall Graveman. Uh, what do you guys think? Think it's a good signing? Fantastic signing. I think the money's good. I think the length of contract is good. Uh, we're talking about a guy who uh, is a producer and is uh, a good back end of the bullpen piece. Uh, the setup man we were missing this past season. So, yeah, pretty happy about that. Xavier? I thought, especially after seeing what money's being tossed around, I feel like the $8 million, I think it is, isn't so terrible. Uh, I know a lot of people right away were, there was a good portion saying there wasn't enough uh, long-term, year-to-year success with him. And that, that worried people. But I think he's he's pitched enough over the last few seasons 
that it's going to be the guy that he is, and I like the move. And it's a bullpen piece that doesn't add another. Yeah, so I got some uh, I got some numbers here that uh, that I jotted down while I was looking through through some of his stuff on Baseball Savant that I found interesting. And uh, like one of the things that I really do like about about this signing is that he limits hard contact. So more or less, you know, it's not a hundred percent accurate comp, but he's a sinker ball pitcher, a lot like Aaron Bummer from the other side. And um, I like that. Uh, his barrel percentage was eighty-six uh, percentage uh, in barrel rate. So he's not letting guys hit it very hard. He only gave up three home runs and five doubles last year. Um, So he's not giving up big hits for the most part, uh, you know, over, you know, 80 innings or whatever he threw last year. He only gave up three home runs. So that's something that is nice. That's something that, especially at guaranteed rate, ground ball pitcher, Fantastic. He also has, you know, high VLO on his fastball, which is which is nice. So um, he had a 77% K rate. Uh, not 77%. What am I? What am I looking at? 27 and a half percent K percentage. And a, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, K nines are like <laughs> 22. <laughs> yeah. 27 percent. 27 and a half percent K rate and a nine percent walk rate. Um, only allowed a 180 batting average and a 253 slugging. Um, the things that I worry about with him, and uh, this is going to come back to something that we've been talking about uh, this offseason that Rick Hahn addressed in one of his uh, one of his uh, press conferences, is that he spent 60% of his time pitching against left-handed hitters in the shift. And he spent 24% of his time against right-handed hitters in the shift. Um, now, we know uh, that the White Sox are not really particularly fond of shifting. And um, oddly enough, well, though... season they weren't. The season before, they were really fond of it. Yeah, well, they were at least more fond of it anyway. They were still in the bottom, but they were, you know... Okay. They, they right. shifted more. But... Um, he actually uh, does worse against the uh, against the left-handed hitters for power, which is uh, which is interesting. So I mean, you know, either way, any way you look at his numbers, his numbers are fantastic. Uh, he had a bad August, um, but uh, his September and October, his ERA dropped back down to one six nine with the Astros last year. Um. The odd part of that specifically was kind of uh, had me doing a double take is this whip actually went up to a 1.88 in September and October of last year. His ERA went down about half from August to September, but his whip went way up because his uh, his walk rate was at 20% in September, which is obviously not something that you want to see, but... Um, you know, as a setup guy, I think it's real solid deal. And, uh, from what you've been seeing on the, on the market, it's, uh, seems to be a fairly standard, uh, 
you know, fairly standard contract, uh, three, three at eight for 24 million. So I don't know. Can't fault him No. for the, for the signing. It's a, it's a decent signing. Um, just, uh, it's the other stuff that everybody's waiting on to see, uh, you know, where the rest of the team is going to go for the uh, positions that are black holes in the lineup at the moment. Yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and agree with, uh, with Chad here and say that, uh, I would also like to see Tapera back. Uh, I would as you know, well. As we said, there are some uh, there are some holes in that bullpen. There are going to uh, continue to be some holes in that bullpen until some of these guys are signed. Uh, Tapera has uh, particularly looked good the last two seasons or season and a half, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's been, you know, kind of he's been fairly solid most of the time. Uh you know, we also talked about the fact that, you know, the White Sox are just a machine for developing uh, bullpen pitchers. So, you know, we might see an in-house option or two uh, as well. So, you know, again, my uh, my main concern right now is uh, getting a uh, – hopefully getting a, a competent left-handed pitcher for the rotation. And, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, we've been talking about it. You might have, you'd be beating a dead horse is not even the right – way to put it but seeing a right fielder for once that can play right field every day and not platoon and doesn't need a defensive replacement in the fifth inning you know day in and day out game in and game out that would be a dream scenario absolute dream scenario and i've seen guys talk about you know so-and-so's gone this one's gone that one's gone oh my god woe is me what are the white Sox gonna do and I'll be honest with you, if we could sign a Carlos Rodon for whatever it's going to take to get Carlos Rodon, and we get, I don't know, let's just say we get a Chris Taylor. And, uh, I mean, I don't see us getting a Carlos Rodon and a Nick Castellanos. But, uh, you know, say uh, Michael Conforto, which I don't know if Rodon and Conforto is going to be a thing. But uh, if you can give me, I don't know, two out of three between starting pitcher, second baseman, and right fielder, I'll take just about any combination without them necessarily. They don't have to be the best of the best, but give me competence, something that we have not seen in so long in right field. And, uh, you know, we can work out the kinks with second base and you know, obviously, a starting a left-handed starting pitching is is pretty big. You know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and we talked about what the three of us thought were the biggest needs. You both said we we thought we needed a a right fielder. Uh, I am right there with you, but I'm on the fence there as well. I think uh, just going off of the past couple of playoffs, I would like to see a top of the line starter. I'm still kind of there, but damn, that right fielder would look pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, like, I if they if they don't go out and spend a hundred million dollars, they're not getting Conforto. You know, they're probably, you know, maybe they maybe they'll be able to get a, uh, maybe they'll be able to get Chris Taylor for under a hundred, depending on how many years he's looking for. But, um, you know, if you're not doing that, at least get somebody that's going to be like a consistent. 105 WRC plus, so at least it's a net positive all year long. 
somebody that does this all year long, you know, somebody that's not, you know, sitting here doing a platoon player. Yeah. Some, yeah. Somebody that need a defensive replacement after five innings. Yeah. That somebody, somebody that's not slumping for a month and a half, you know, like right. just need some consistency. Somebody that gets on base at a decent level at both positions the entire year and doesn't go into dramatic slumps all the time. You do somebody that and is, that's half the battle. You know, I would be just happy with somebody who does something that keeps us away from seeing the rotation of, you know, just using last year as an example, how many guys did we see play right field last year? We saw Andrew Vaughn. We saw Leori Garcia. We saw Jake lamb. We saw Adam Eaton, Adam Eaton. We saw Gavin sheets. I mean, and the list, and that's not it. It keeps going, but that's just a throw. I mean, there had to be like 10 different guys play yeah. right field last year. Can I get one guy that gives me 130 games in right field? We had Nick, what was it, Nick Williams? What was that guy's name? Nick Williams? Yeah, he, he he was left field, I think. I think he played like five games in left field or something. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, Engel, too. Forgot And uh, Billy oh, Hamilton yeah. is the and, center and, and Goodwin. Hamilton, yeah, Goodwin. Good. I mean, the let's you know the like I said, the list goes on and on. Yeah, there had to be at least ten guys play right field last year. Yeah, least. and you know, like I get it that there's going to be injuries and whatever, you know. But if they go out and sign somebody that is a competent right fielder and he gets hurt, I will one hundred percent give them a pass because that's not their fault, you know. But <laughs> unless they sign like an an Adam Eaton type guy again, you know, somebody with a long history of injuries who, when we heard that he got signed said, Oh, he's going to get injured. And sure enough, you know, you wait about three weeks into the season and he's injured for a month. He comes back, he's terrible. And then he gets released. You know, this is, this is what I'm talking about with these like $8 million guys that they sign. It's not worth it. Just spend the 15, get one guy instead of two, and the production is going to be higher. Yep. That's, uh, yeah, anywho. Yeah, Luis Gonzalez. I think Luis Gonzalez only played left field last year, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. <sighs> I mean, but yeah, I you know, like I said, keep throwing names at that list. My point was, was give oh, me it's a guy where we don't have here. to guess. We don't have to guess who's going to be the, you know, the starting right fielder tomorrow. You know, we're not we're not looking at Tony LaRusso who's going, well, you know, uh, I'm going to give so-and-so the day off because we know that's happening four times a week. So, you know, give me the guy that can play there. Like I said, I'll take 130 games out of one single right fielder, barring injury, like you said. But give me one right fielder who can just be competent enough to play 130 games without us questioning who is going to be out there tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we're asking a lot here, you know, <laughs> we're asking for a guy that can play his position the entire year in all game, uh, you know, with taking off reasonable days off, you know, hell even go ahead and, you know, have a stub toe and miss a week. I don't care, you know, but for crying out loud, just get somebody who can play the stinking position. You know, I'm just so tired of watching this merry-go-round Every year, you know, I mean, it's like we've been looking for a right fielder for ages, 
I mean, at this point, can you even really be picky about whether we're talking about a you know a left-handed hitter or a right-handed hitter? If no, I don't care as long as he can hit. And you you know even if you got to bring in Adam Engel in a tight game for the eighth and ninth inning, so be it. I you know you want to bring him in to be the guy who's going to make the catch that's going to end the game. Absolutely fine with that. But I want the guy who's going to start and play most of the game. I want him out there every day. That's all. That's all. Not asking that much. Yeah. You know, just asking for what, you know, uh, probably about 26 of the other major league baseball teams have, you know, which is a, uh, a guy that can actually play the position the entire season and is the guy that's at the head of their depth chart and isn't uh, getting swapped out every other day or, you know, not playing left field and right field and center field. Oh, but tomorrow he's playing second base for crying out loud. Get a right fielder that is an outfielder that can go and get it and can hit the ball every once in a while. I mean, that's realistically all that I'm asking here. I mean, I'm not trying to be difficult here, you know, would I like a, a massive upgrade? Yes, I would. But Bryce Harper is on the Phillies, and uh, that's that. So we're not getting that. You know, yep. it's not happening. So, yeah. Uh, it hurts to say. Hey. <laughs> yeah, it hurts to say. I'm just, I'm so tired of saying it. And, uh, it's just one yeah, of those things where, yeah, I know. And it's, it's all the time, you know, it's, it's just, it's like the same thing. Eddie Rosario. Hey. I mean, the guy hits 250. I mean, uh, plays a bad defense and you're going to have to, you know, probably sub for him in the, uh, in the late innings every once in a while. Um, but he still hits you 30 dingers and, uh, well, 25, you know, which is okay. more than we've gotten. So, you know, in the last, uh, 10 years, 15 years. He's going to play some runners. Yeah. I mean, at this point. Quiet. Sometimes when we're doing the stream and let you guys carry it, because I don't want to keep like repeating the same things that I've said in like previous episodes or repeating what you guys even said. So I just waited out and think of my next fresh thought. Hey, we've been talking about right fielders for about 10 years now. So, and we keep on bringing that up every week. (laughs) So, whatever. Please jump right in. It don't matter anymore. Yeah. It's still an issue. Changes in the organization, which uh, I believe we're going to get to today uh, about what our uh, our front office uh, grades. I figured since you had that, you said you had to dip early. So, I wasn't even worried about it. I was like, you know oh, what? You want, you want to push the catchers in the front office grades next week? We can yeah, do we that can too. do that. That's, yeah, that's might as well. Because we still have some, uh, I believe we still have some free agent talk in our back pocket for a little bit here. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, after uh, after Wednesday, there's not going to be any free agent talk for uh, for a while. So... Yeah, might as well do it now, huh? Yeah. Um, I mean, there will, of course, be some free agent talk, but, I mean, it's not like there's going to be any new signings for uh, however long they decide to uh, prolong the lockout, which I don't even want to get into that. 
No, and you know the the reality is we're looking at all these. You know there has been a flurry of moves, particularly the last couple of days. But this last week has been, uh, has been a little bit of a show, uh, uh, more of a show than we've seen this early on. Uh, the last four or five seasons, we haven't seen the the, the huge contracts doled out this early in the year, at least not in this magnitude. Anyway, this the multitude of of large contracts doled out this early in the year. Uh, those usually happen, you know long after the winter meetings are over and uh you know we're into january and february when we start seeing these two and three hundred million dollar contracts so there's that but the reality is the large majority of free agents will probably go unsigned before the cba happens so there is the possibility that if this thing and it, it's been pretty much said that this is going to go on for months not days or weeks before they reach an i've agreement. heard both but yeah so well i mean it would be nice if it was done in days or weeks uh i particularly don't see it happening just because i, I feel like the two sides are so far away at least in, in things that we're you know here reported uh we, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's going on behind closed doors but you know the reports right now are not great um but uh my hope is, is like I said earlier in the show tonight, is that if we do get to a point where it becomes, you know, late February or early March, and you were talking about pitchers and catchers reporting to camp and, you know, teams getting into uh, season shape, I would think that not only is there going to be a ton of moves, there might be some hasty moves made by players just get trying to get paid and get out on the field. And uh, maybe that's when the White Sox strike. I don't really know. But the reality is, is again, there's still a ton of guys out there, whether or not they fit the White Sox needs, you know, the way we see them, uh, we'll see. But, you know, it'll be interesting either way. Actually, very surprised how many moves we have seen so far. And I know there's going to be, there's still a ton of players, but I was not expecting nearly as many of these made, especially there's a, a handful of these moves of like, the big players that we were wondering what's going to happen. There's still plenty out there, but I was not getting anywhere near this, and I haven't read anything either. I've only just been watching the numbers and contracts come through. But I wonder if why 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 that happened and why everyone's signing the last two days. Like it's been in short spans, but so much had happened in these last. Uh, 36 hours or so. So that's a question mark. And you were just talking about how that something might take these come uh, March and April close to the start of the season. Uh, depending on when the season starts, I'm, I'm now worried. This just popped in my head. We saw a lot of injuries the last two seasons. I'm more season doesn't start on time. Oh, it's just going to be a repeat, especially knowing the White Sox history with injuries. That has now re 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 and has now become a concern of mine that I didn't have ten minutes ago. Yeah, well, I mean, they are uh, quote unquote reimagining their training staff. So uh, we'll see um, now that uh, Thomas isn't the uh, strength and conditioning coach. We'll see what ends up happening with uh, 
you know, how these guys are able to, uh, you know, either a avoid injury or how they deal with it and, uh, how quickly they bounce back from all this stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that, that whole thing's going to be, uh, I don't know from what they, from what they've done for the, uh, the last, I don't know, three, four years, it's been pretty ugly. So, uh, and before that it was, uh, TJ a thon, you know, it's like every month we were hearing about two or three guys that were having TJ. So, you know, let's hope that they don't, uh, go down that road again either. Um, head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. Sorry, yeah. Myself. Yes, yes, they did say reimagine. That yeah, I'm is, pretty sure that's the exact quote. That is the exact <laughs> word that he used. We are reimagining the training staff, the strength and training staff, or whatever, yeah, whatever. Uh, conditioning. Yeah. Um, which is, I thought was a uh, kind of a, a interesting word to use. Um, so, you know, the fact that Alan Thomas had been with the club for so long, what exactly does reimagining even mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that's for them to know and for us to sit and patiently wait it out. Yeah, I'm not, an, I'm not entirely sure what reimagining means. I mean, I, I would have to imagine that maybe, you know what, maybe they're doing is maybe they're moving to uh, all Pilates, like I've heard about, uh, you know, some of those uh, strength trainers do. They do a lot of Pilates to uh, give flexibility and strength, um, as opposed to a guy who uh, was a, uh, you know, <laughs> the the old guy that we had that was in the uh, NWO or whatever, <laughs> whatever it, it was that he was in. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, they re-signed, uh, re-signed a few guys um, in the minors. Uh, Emilio Vargas, pitcher, uh, Jagger Rosconi, and an outfielder. That's about it. Uh, they signed uh, signed Cam Hill, who was an ex-relief pitcher from the Indians. Um, had a couple of decent games, had some bad games as well. Had like a 5 ERA or something, I want to say, in like 2020. So not, not really anything... Uh, not really anything crazy going on in the minors yet. Um, I did think I did hear tonight, though, actually, that um, minor league free agents are fair game even during the lockout. So that's interesting. That uh, because, least... uh, I think it was, was it all minor leagues? Or was it everybody below AAA? I don't know. I think, I mean, you know, if they're free agents, they're free agents. As long as they're free agents, you know, because they're not they're not part of the MLBPA until they are on a major league roster. Is what I'm I think it's the forty man roster that 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 uh, that it is. But it could also it could also possibly be that uh, what was it the uh, the forty man AAA roster or whatever that that they have as well. That's what uh, differentiates between the uh, minor league and uh, and. Uh, major league version of the uh, rule five draft. Yeah. Which actually I just found well, out. Basically I... uh, international players and uh, minor league players not associated with them. Well, I don't know about the international players. The I only... did read about international players because they are not 
part of the MLBPA. They are not represented by the MLB Players Association. So, so, any, so that's not, still going to happen. Yes. Anyone not, uh, anyone not represented by the MLB Players Association is uh, fair game. Uh, just interesting today. So, yeah. Hmm, I hadn't heard that one yet. So that one's uh that one's a a nice one to hear is that uh you know, if uh Colas is still um you know, could possibly still be with the White Sox this season and uh well, you know, depending on his tax situation and when they decide to uh you know, like what he decides to do as far as uh getting all of his bonus money and all that, which uh seems to throw a monkey wrench in the works for just about every international signing these days since they moved everything to uh, January instead of July, which I really don't like. Uh, basically waste an entire season for players now because they have to sit out an entire calendar year, which uh, is quite aggravating to me, uh, You know, seeing that uh, I actually follow the minor leagues pretty heavily seeing that uh, these guys that we're supposed to finally be in, be seeing, like uh, Norhe Vera uh, pitching in the DSL against uh, 15-year-olds. So that's a very useful competition for a uh, 21-year-old throwing 100 miles an hour. Um, Just got a notification come across the old uh, the old uh, talk box here. Uh-oh. Uh, it says Philadelphia and Miami are the latest teams eyeing the Schwarbino Hmm. You know, it's weird that, uh, I mean, I just find it odd how the White Sox aren't mentioned with anybody ever. Well, at least for for the last couple of weeks. Yep. Now, I'm not saying that I want to just jump out there and go sign Kyle Schwarber, but you would think that, you know, somebody's got to be out there reporting that they're at least checking in on him. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying is that usually, I mean, I understand that the White Sox generally try and keep things under their under their proverbial hats, but um usually at least they'll be rumored to be talking to somebody and that's and that's not even, ha- you know, like that's hardly even happening. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, so, Bob uh, Nightingale, true. Nightingale, I think it was him who had the tweet that the White Sox would be Interest in for player like Simeon, uh, yes. but the keyword was like. Yes. you're not definitely you're not going to get those guys, but you might get someone like them. Like they might play right field and they might play second base. Yeah, Robbie Ray like and Marcus Simeon like. Yeah, those were. Uh... Is there any way you can make the comparison between uh, Cesar Hernandez and Marcus Simeon? Well, I mean, they, you know, they both played second base last year. Um, it definitely can be interpreted <laughs> many different ways. You can, you can say he's a he's a player like Marcus Sebian. Yeah, they both pay their dues to the MLBPA. Um, yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much where it ends. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't know, man. This like. You know, I, I try not to be, uh, you know, like doom and gloom or anything like that. But, I mean, you know, like this one's been one of those ones where, you know, kind of start 
starting to wonder what is the plan. And, uh, you know, I know that I don't work for the team and, uh, you know, I'm not the GM. So there is that. But kind of wondering what's going on when they sign Kendall Graveman right off the bat and then all these massive contracts start flying off the shelves. And uh, it's guys that had been rumored to be being looked at. And, you know, the White Sox did have a meeting with uh, Scott Boris. So what's, you know, with the comparative contracts, I'm wondering, are they, is it, is it a reality that we can expect something like this to happen? And if nothing happens before December 1st, and it does go into a lockout for a few months, like uh, you had mentioned. I mean, White Sox Twitter is going to be unbearable. Looking out of this conversation to what you were previously discussing, I had a thought of just like seeing the lack of moves and all these moves. I think it's, it's hard. White Sox followers, and it hurts to see them not being as aggressive as you want them to be because we believe they're like right there. They're so close. They're right in us. World Series is right there. And if they can just do a couple more things and come playoff time perform as they should, the bears and for the White Sox and the owners and not to be on the same page to get those last couple pieces. It's hard to see that as a follower to be like, come on, like, What's a, a couple extra moves to get that one title? We're not at, like, I feel one, like, of course, you can win and keep winning, but the one, really the big thing, like, we'll take the one title. Well, you have to get one before you can get two. Exactly. You got, you have to get that first one. Alex Cobb. Alex Cobb has signed, says Colton. Thanks, Coltoni. Hey, Colt. Not sure if you were here before. I just got my trap back, so good evening. Kind sir. Yeah, so... uh oh, school tomorrow? Yeah, he was out sick. Uh, he was out sick yesterday, or, uh, you know, earlier today. Morning. Um, yeah, so Giants. The Giants. You have the uh, You have the contract, Cole Tony? Um... Yeah, I don't know, man. This the last couple of days have been uh, like fairly unbearable on the uh, on the Twitter machine. So if the uh, if we go into a prolonged um, lockout, lockout, uh, I think I might just put my phone away for a little while and just not yeah, even look I, at it. Might be with you on that. Yeah. So here's the thing that I've heard, uh, Kendall, is that. Um, they were saying that today was going to be the crazy day because uh, the GMs and the owners didn't think that they could get the physicals done by the time that they needed to get the physicals done for in order to sign tomorrow if they got the deal done tomorrow. Just what I heard, what the you know what the uh, actual ramifications are. Of that, I do not know, but from what I understand, everything has to be absolutely finalized by uh, 
eleven fifty nine fifty nine on the East Coast. So, uh, I guess if they uh, have a physical, you know, like I pretty much you're not like once it hits like seven or eight o'clock, I don't think that uh, you'll probably see anything happen at all. Might see some stuff earlier on in the day tomorrow, but I can't see anything happening late because they still have to get all their physicals and everything done by that point. So it's entirely possible that, you know, like once you hit about seven or eight when they can't do the physical stuff. Yeah, I still think you you might see something. You might you might see something done. Uh, you know, I don't know how that all works. Yeah, that's just what I, I saw on a tweet, I think, from John Heyman or something. Deals saying, can be done pending physical. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Uh, I just... You know, there's like Ian says, though, there's that side of the coin where it's done pending physical, but yeah, you know, it's once not, the it's not done, happens, done. Yeah, once the shutdown happens, that's it. It's complete. Everything goes silent. There is no, you know, you don't, you don't get an extension on that pending physical. You have to wait until the agreement happens. It's literally like a blackout. The lights go out and that's it. It's over and done until that agreement is reached. So, uh, yeah, it could. In my opinion, it could go either way. It might be the Braves signed Kirby Yates. Crispy. Braves, Graves getting their uh, setup slash closer. Yep, old Crispy. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. It's good talking to you guys tonight. Um, despite the fact of the uh, the subject matter, and uh, having to sit here and talk about this nonsense again. Yeah, yeah, like I said, it's not over yet. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, you know, until it's happened, we're seeing some of our dreams get squashed a little bit here and there with some of the guys that we were kind of leaning towards, but it's not over. Yeah, I mean, until until uh until opening day or spring training or whatever, I'm not gonna really worry about it too much. But you know, that's how this whole thing with uh Dallas Kimbrell and uh or uh, Dallas Keichel and uh Craig Kimbrell started is that they didn't sign before uh before the season ended up signing late and uh that pretty much uh sidetracked uh their year and then kind of started them on like kind of like a weird sideways uh sideways thing for a few years so right and you know the other thing we haven't touched on and i'll just make this real short and quick this point is you know we're we're talking about free agency right now but uh you know there's always the trade route as well uh we talked a little bit about it when we talked about you know crimble but uh you know there are still the possibility of trades. There are still some uh, some solid trade pieces within the organization that might be able to net you something. So, uh, you know, again, we'll revisit that as uh, things progress. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we need to do like some sort of emergency thing if something big happens. But you know, we'll see. You know, it's always one of those, uh, especially with the White Sox. It's like there's not usually a whole lot of smoke before something happens. It's just like uh, all of a sudden there's a report out. And uh, something that you yeah, had no idea. Kendall Graveman until Kendall Graveman was a White Sox uh, player. So, yep. So, I mean, you know, who knows? We'll find out uh, probably uh, shortly after it happens, and not before, especially with uh, the way that they uh, like to do the uh, under the radar stuff. So, we shall see. Um, yep. Like I said, uh, got uh, possible guests coming on. Uh, got a couple guests that actually I'm talking to about uh, coming on here. 
Um, one of them being a Rangers fan, so we can uh, kind of pick their brain and see what he's thinking about uh, how things are going. And I will tell you one thing. He is excited. I was going to um, say, that's going to be uh, – well, I mean, if you ask him how he thinks it's going, the, the short answer is I'm sure he's creaming his jeans right about now. He's very happy. I will say that. Um, yeah, pretty stoked. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't blame him at all, you know. And especially – I. Like I said, I will not be shocked if they don't go out and sign a uh, – actually, I will be shocked if they don't go out and sign a couple of starting pitchers to go along with what they've got already to uh, help, um, you know. they. That's one thing that they definitely need is, you know, has been mentioned in the chat, is they definitely need some pitching. Uh, Dane Dunning is your two right now behind uh, John Gray. That's, uh, that's not what you're looking for as uh, – you know, it'll be his second full season after uh, after TJ. So not exactly uh, what you're looking to, uh, you know, leave him with. He's going to need a little bit of time. character over there, too. Which one? Heard Taylor, Tyler, Taylor, whatever his name is. Hmm. Halfway decent. I think he's um, trying to remember. Yeah, I forget. I'll have to look at that one. I think I do remember him from last year, but it, you know, it all kind of melts together after a little while. Yeah, well, they really didn't have a whole lot, whole lot going on there. No, they year. did not. Willie Calhoun. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, they got they got some uh, decent guys. You know, some decent hitters. Uh, Dolis Garcia, and uh, you know, they got some young guys coming up. But uh, yeah, we'll talk to him about that and. Uh, Got some other uh, some other White Sox guys that I've been talking to about popping in here, and uh, I know that I've been talking to a couple of guys about doing some minor league stuff as well, which is something that I have been uh, jonesing to get at for quite a while because uh, you know I enjoy that kind of thing. So we'll do that. Um, so uh, everybody that was in the chat tonight, appreciate it. Thanks for coming, hanging out. Uh, thanks for coming and watching. Uh, for those of you listening on podcast, thank you for uh, the downloads and all that stuff. Um, this has been White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. Uh, my co-hosts Xavier Sanchez and Danny Miller. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Daily White Sox. And uh, there's a Facebook page for White Sox Daily as well. And um, there's also... Uh, Substack for White Sox Daily, uh, which you'll start seeing some co uh, content coming out for here in the near future. Uh, we do have a new writer, which um, when he pops something up there, we'll go ahead and announce that. Uh, it's pretty nice, uh, pretty nice addition to the family over here at White Sox Daily. And uh, just like to thank everybody for coming in tonight. Thanks for the follows and. Uh, guys have a great night and we will talk to you uh hopefully if something big happens in the next day or two maybe we'll uh try and figure something out to uh you know pop on again but uh otherwise we shall see you guys next week at same time 9 p.m on mondays thanks have a great night <laughs>